Flinging waves, fox spear, lock is action, very weird. Captain Pike, Crystal's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot. Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, July 27th, 2023. It is Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. That means we are live. If you're listening right now, the sound of my voice, you want to let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433 and get on the air with us right now. We're going to be talking about last week's episode, Lost in Translation. Now, uh, our schedule is going to be a little bit out of whack because Paramount had to drop an extra episode on us. So we're going to shift everything up a week in order to fit all the episodes in. So I know there's a new episode on tonight about the Klingons called Cloak of War. We will not be talking about that episode next week. Instead, next week we're going to be talking about those old scientists, which was the crossover episode that dropped on Saturday. And then the following Thursday we'll talk about Cloak of War. So we're just going to be kicked up just a tiny bit, but don't worry, we'll get all the episodes in. So before we go too far, I want to go around and introduce to you guys all of my awesome Trek experts. Um, fortunately, tonight, all of them, that's right, all of them are in. How you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing pretty good, man. Uh, I had a very busy day from a work standpoint, but you don't necessarily want to hear about that, but to say... Uh, I am very excited to talk about uh, today's episode. Uh, I thought it was quite nice. Uh, so, yeah, let's keep it rolling. And we also have with us from Portland as well, the toy guy himself, Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, Uncle Jim. I'm doing well. It's definitely been an interesting week <laughs> out here. Mostly interesting in a good way, though, which is good. Just been nonstop uh, plot twists and fun things happening. So things are are pointing in good directions, my friends, and uh, ready for some conversation. And it's the eve of Friday, so that's always good, right? Mm-hmm. Always I good. do like and my Friday evenings, for sure. Fridays are good. Good, good, good. And wrapping out our trifecta from Portland, we have the donut guy himself. Mr. David. How you doing, David? Beep. Beep. I'm lost in translation. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well, good. I, I just imagined you sitting in the pike chair. <laughs> and I, you just said no. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. 
Charles uh, is not going to be with us, so someone's going to have to pick up the slack and uh, take over for Charles tonight. I guess we'll do that on the fly. We'll see what happens when we get there, huh? So uh, we broke 150,000 followers on our Facebook page just this week. That's incredible. Wow. So thank you to each and every one of you guys. I I remember when we got excited when we broke 5,000. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's awesome. Thank you so much to each and every one of you guys for visiting our Facebook page and interacting with us, which brings me right into our next segment. Um, every week we do fan shout outs. And how do you get mentioned on a fan shout out, Eric? Well, uh, Jim, there is one of two ways. You can either uh, grab yourself a Ouija board and uh, grab three or four of your closest friends and put it, you know, you know how these things work. You put it in the middle of the circle, sort of ask the spirits what's going on. Uh, The Ouija board tells you what's happening, and, and perhaps you can contact us that way. In fact, I would almost guarantee that there are people out there that that would be the most efficient way to contact us. But for the rest of us, you could probably just go to trektalking.com. And if you did that, you would see myriad ways to contact us, whether it's the little microphone in the corner that allows you to send a recording, whether it's the Facebook link that takes you to our Facebook page where you can join 150,000 other of your uh, favorite friends who also listen to the same podcast. just tons of ways to get a hold of us. Uh, so I feel like trektalking.com is probably the way that most people should go, like honestly. Absolutely. And while you're there, you can see what all of these awesome co-hosts looks like. And I'm going to tell you what, it's a good thing we're on radio because we all have a face for radio. So <laughs> you can actually see us. Speak for yourself, Uncle Now, Tim. wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can see all of our ugly mugs right there on Trek Talk. And that way, when you run into us at a convention, you'll know what we look like. So, And we have a nice blog over there. There's all kinds of news. And, and the biggest thing at trektalking.com is there's, there's 548 other podcasts there. If you missed a show or two, you can find them all right there. So trektalking.com is the one-stop shop for all of your Star Trek needs. So if you visit our Facebook page, you'll see pinned to the top the Live Long and Prosper logo. Just pop in there and say, hey, dudes, I'm listening from Australia. I'm that guy from Australia. You know, the dude I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Well, and we'll, and, we'll, remember you, uh, we'll remember your name one day, brother. Yeah, one day you'll get back to us and we'll know who you are. But when you go there, you just tell us where you're listening from and look for a heart next to your name from Uncle Jim. Now, there is there is a little caveat. It, you want to try to attract my attention. If you just say, I'm Jeff from Jersey, okay, that yeah, okay. Um, well, that's got nice alliteration. Put, uh, yeah. It's got something there. You know, there's <laughs> something. But if you put a bunch of... I'm Mike from Montana. Some, you know. <laughs> I'm Timmy from Texas. Yeah, I'm Oswald from Oregon. Yes, let's just keep going with this for the rest of the thing. No, 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 no. Uh, but that'll but get his attention. Point, attention. you know, bottom line. So uh, you know, so you catch my attention with emojis and things of that nature, and more specific than Jeff from Jersey. 
So uh, you look for a heart next to your name, and if you see that heart, that means your name is going to be immortalized for all of eternity as not only a Star Trek fan, but a member of our Trek talking family. And this is how we say thank you to you guys, and we're going to start that out right now. So, Eric, you want to dive in and start off with our fan shout-out? Oh, man, I would love to do that, Jim. And, you know, our very first fan shout-out allows me to go to one of those countries that we have quite a bit of support from, but that I have never been to, but I am honestly fascinated with the place, and I cannot wait to visit someday. So hailing all the way from Brazil, down south from where we all are, is top fan Giovanna Franco. Giovanna Franco, thank you so much for listening to our podcast and for saying hello to us on our Facebook page. Uh, you sent us a little Brazilian flag there, and uh, I must admit that uh, you know I'm not that into the football, but I have watched your team more than once uh, and rooted for them on occasion. So uh, thank you so much for not only providing uh, fan uh, support for our podcast, but for also having a kick-ass soccer team. Awesome. Uh, also saying hello this week to top fan Trevor Michael Morris, who's saying greetings from Hong Kong, live long and prosper, sending us a symbol to say the same and a little smiley face. Peace and long life to you, Trevor. Thank you so much for saying hello to us. You are a top fan, meaning you interact with us a ton on our Facebook page, and that is one way to inter- uh, to uh, actually attract Jim's attention for sure. So thanks, Trevor Michael Morris, and hello to you. Also saying hello this week to top fan Michelle Matthias. Joseph, Michelle Matthias Joseph, is saying hello from the beautiful Caribbean islands of Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago. Wow, uh, that is a little tiny island in the middle of a big old ocean. Kind of like, you know, a place that I would visit briefly for sure. I get freaked out on little tiny islands, but I cannot deny the sheer beauty of where you live. Uh, looks really, really incredible. So thank you so much for supporting our podcast from so far away. It's really, really amazing. Proving once again that Star Trek is a global phenomenon. And my final fan shout out this week goes out to Chiara Boracci, who's saying hello from Milan. I have not been to Milan. I have been all over Italy, but not Milan. So Chiara, thank you so much for saying hello to us from your beautiful country. And in the absence of Charles this week, I'm going to pass this big shout out megaphone over to Jim. Unless oh, yeah. Jim. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I was letting you not appreciate that. dead air, Jim. Darn, we almost had Nope. That was Jim's Mitch out. McConnell impersonation, <laughs> everyone. I think he did a great job. Don't you? Yeah, Give it up for Jim and his political cavalcade. Well done, Jim. Oh, God. The dog went out, the cat came in, so what can I tell you? AJ is laying here right now. You might hear him purring. You might hear him meowing, but the dog went out, AJ came in. So he's my little mascot. You guys may have seen a picture of him on the Facebook page laying on top of my bat list. That's AJ. Okay. So let me get the cat fur out of my mouth. (laughs) Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Live radio is awesome, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's always a good time. Okay. So I'm going to fill in for Charles, and so here we go. My first top fan, uh, I'm on the wrong, I'm on the wrong one. <laughs> Charles, Roll up, here we go. Roll up. <laughs> He's listen, totally I'm lost. Old. He's totally I'm lost. Old. 
You would think I would know since I wrote the show notes, but you you threw me for a loop here. (laughs) So, all right. Now I'm on the one that says Charles slash Jim. So we're back on the right page. (laughs) Oh, my God. People think think we're, like, on drugs or something. Anyways. Okay. So my first fan shout-out goes to Donna Trapp, who is listening at the State College of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being a fan, Donna, and for putting up with my uh, dead brain here. So thank you so much. We also want to send a huge kapla out to Top Fan. That's right top fan and you get to be a top fan by joining our facebook page and being one of those 150,000 plus fans that interacts with us and of course alan gunner is one of those top fans and he's listening to us in winnipeg manitoba canada so thank you for being a fan alan we also want to say thank you and kapla to christine swires who's listening to us in Maslin, ohio Thank you so much, Christine, for being a fan and following us on Facebook. And last but definitely not least, we want to say kapwa to Bonnie Moss, who's listening to us in Burlington, North Carolina. Not Burlington, Vermont, but Burlington, North Carolina. So thank you so much to Bonnie and everyone else for listening to us and being a fan of our Facebook page. And David. Now that we're back on the right script, who do you have on your list? Well, I might not be taking drugs, but I'm certainly hooked on triple, so. Uh, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right, so uh, I want to give a, good, a big uh, shout-out to top fan Mike Keane from Florida. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, next is Jennifer Geller from Texas. Uh, and next is top fan Ken Atkinson from Colorado. Thanks for listening. And last on my list is Mandy Kaili, Ka- Kaili from Maui, Hawaii. That's a lot of eyes in there, but cool. Thank you for listening. And uh, I guess I'll pass this on to Paul. All right. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, man. Well, it's great to be able to have a a moment to just remind ourselves of what uh, a global phenomenon enthusiasm for Star Trek is and that we have uh, friends and like-minded enthusiasts all over the planet, including our good friend in South Africa, Niriksha Hupra. Uh, And Niriksha has got a triple threat of flags flying there to honor Uh, their country. It is great to hear from you, Nariksha. Thanks for being a fan and for spending time with us here at Trek Talking. Next up, we're going to cross a few bodies of water here to get over to top fan Anthony Bygrave. Now, Anthony is saying hello from um, Beckles, which is uh, uh, the Suffolk-Norfolk border of England over there, right? So a little bit north of London, uh, but a fantastic place. You can drive to the coast from there. Uh, and uh, Anthony gives us this message. Beam over here. It's beautiful. Living here will help you live long and prosper. So make it so, my number ones. Managed to combine several different bits of phraseology there, Anthony. Well done. And uh, flipping us the uh, live long and prosper sign at least uh, three times. So, Anthony, 
This is the kind of behavior that guarantees you're a top fan. I think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, where the the obsessiveness and uh, attention yeah. to detail is just impossible to miss. So uh, greetings to you and Beckles, Anthony. Thanks for being a fan and hanging out with us. Uh, not too far away from Anthony, we're saying hello to Sean Samet in Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, who is displaying uh, not only the flag, but also the proud shamrock as well. Great to hear from you. I have no doubt that in, some, in the near future, I'm going to be finding myself in that land as well. My wife is of Irish nationality, so I'm going to be spending time there pretty soon. I think uh, traveling is calling. Way overdue. And finally, we're going to slip ourselves across the Pacific, and we're going to go to Bangkok, Thailand, where our friend Matty Matt is uh, flying the flag there and saying hello to us, proving once again that uh, there are Star Trek fans everywhere, and we all have more in common than we have uh, apart, than we have differences. And a great thing to remember and be reminded of, and this segment always helps us do that. We love our international fans, and we love this community. Right, Jim? Absolutely, and I'm going to continue on with uh, my <laughs> shout-outs for this week and not Charles's. So I would like to send out a huge thank you to Michael Duffy, who's from the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania, USA, and he says, we Trekkies are all over the world, live long and prosper. Ain't that the truth? Absolutely. And I also want to say, Thank you and kapla to Thomas Kai, who's listening to us in Live Oak, Texas. Thank you for being a fan, Thomas. We want to say kapla to Kirsten Hout, Venezuela, who's listening to us in Boston. Present Boston, baby. Not doing too well, but they're beating up on the Yankees, so I suppose that's a good thing. And last but not least on my list, we have top fan. Kevin Collins, who's listening from Schenectady, New York, my old stomping grounds. Uh, so uh, very rarely do I see somebody on our Facebook page from Schenectady, New York. So I get kind of excited when I do. So thank you so much to Kevin Collins for being a top fan and for hanging out in Schenectady, New York. All right, guys. So uh, that wraps up our fan shout-outs, but wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. We have a caller on the line, which is hard to get to because AJ is laying right on top of my keyboard here. Let me see if I can get this thing to work. Good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk, and what's your name, and where are you calling us from tonight? Goodbye, my brother. This is Ray. What's up, Ray? Hey, what's up, Ray? But, 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 I saw about last week, my wife, I, I tried to tell you, my wife ended up here, I, I just want to save my pockets for last week. That's why, I'm sorry about that. Right, I didn't right. know she was going to do that. I did, I, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I was in there, she going to do that to me. I did not know she going to do that to me like that. It's all good, oh, my right. man. You know how many times my wife has come in while I'm on the show and told me <laughs> i got to take out the garbage, let Doesn't out the gas, you, you know. <laughs> no. I'm trying to talk to you, right? I'm trying to talk to you, right? And then she keep 
come to my room talking about, oh, I want to talk, I want to talk. I said, I said, oh, my God. I said, yo, I'm on, I'm on the air with them right now, pockets light right now. And I, I and, and that's why I call back. I, I just want to apologize for it. I just want to apologize. No. I just want to apologize. <laughs> no problem, No man. apologies. But, no, Gary Ray, but no, no, no. here's the you should try doing what I do, right? Because we've all got wives. We've all got spouses. And I think I finally figured out how to stop this problem, right? I ordered an old uh, Navy-issue submarine hatch, right, off of a decommissioned sub, right? And so whenever the show starts, I just close that freaking hatch, and she can't get in there. So seal oh, tight. I don't get bothered at all. It's great. That's right. And it'll never happen again, I promise. I'm his women. You may tell me you want my room door to a subway, a, a, a subway hatch. Yes, Once you've tried it, you'll that. never go back. Yeah. You'll love it. I don't mind doing that. Every now and then, I'll close I, the hatch, I, I and I'll just, right before the show starts, I'll yell, dive, dive, dive. I apologize. I apologize. It was the thing I called for, and I apologize. It's all good. Thanks, bud. We love you, brother. Don't worry about it. Okay, Not an issue oh, yeah, at all, right? Oh, 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 oh,
Oh, uh, Trevor Moody, it's good clear. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, like me. I'm a mm-hmm. Trevor Fennell, okay? Okay, I'm a Trevor awesome. Fennell. Okay, the other day, like, otherwise, I, 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 I got cup. The other day, I got cup. I know uh, cup. What's it? The Trevor Lacey's? I got cup. That yep. cost me um $25. Not, I mean, bro, $25. Right? The box is still sealed. Not even nice. open, my bro. Not even open. Not even awesome. open. Not open. So, so right now, I got, I'm up to um 12. So I got Will mm. Jack. Um, I got Will Jack open. I got Sun Sunstripe open. I got Kickback open. I got mm-hmm. Blur open, and plus um plus um Cup, and I got Barricade for Trap for the Move Move came out in two thousand seven. And you know uh, Barricade, you know what? If we get a, 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 a you know a, 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 a police car, who should yep. shut yeah, the yeah, no Barricade. There. Yep. Right, I, and and and, and well, I, I got Soundwave, but I mean, but I mean, but but not the tape called Soundwave was um. Transformers, um, the rise of the fort. No, no, um, what is it? The one came out in 2009 where Power was dead and it, 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 it was stolen. Is that the Soundwave was all uh, the, the satellite? Is that the Dark of the Moon? Is that that one? Yeah, no, no, not no more. The rise of the fort. The there dark, you go. No, the, the rise of the fort. But yeah. no, the dark. No, no, I, I, I had none of the Dark of the Moon, but I mean, but I mean, but I do have Galvatron from um with the Dinobots. Nice. I got that one, and that's okay. Sorry, guys, we're geeking out on Transformers here. Yo, yo, one more thing. I got even um Hotwire. Remember Hotwire with the one with um the Kings, the Hotwire. You know Hotwire. Uh, he, he, um, he's French. Uh, French. The last uh, one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I know. I try to get the last one. The um uh, the Kings. You know. You know. Um. Damn, hold yeah, I don't on. Wait, hold 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 it is more than meets the eye. Yeah. More and than I think there's some, there's some fun, like, synergies. Uh, there's actually a great comic book series that's a crossover of Transformers and Star Trek. So it. if you I, haven't I, checked I, that I out, it. you got to check it out. Yeah. I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, it's really good. It's It shows the NCC-1701 as a Transformer, which I love. So, anyway. I saw it. Well, so right. So right now, oh yeah, I know the Yankees. I know you broke the Yankees. I already heard it. I already heard the Yankees. I already heard it, Uncle Jim. Uncle Jim, I already heard. It. I already heard it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I already heard it. I already heard. It. So listen, listen, let you guys go. I, 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 I just want to say I apologize from last week, and my wife apologized too. So I make my apologies for last week. You know what I'm saying? And I will build that submarine screen door in my room next. <laughs> wow. <laughs> The only way I do, yo, the only, the only I do, I got, 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 I
I'm so sorry about that. My apologies. You know what I'm saying? I want to stay on talking, guys. I don't want you know no problem. I just want to let you know. I apologize. I love you guys to death. I love you. You know what I'm saying? Every Thursday, you made my day. I call you made my day every Thursday. Okay? I love you guys. You guys take care. I'll call you guys next Thursday. Enjoy yourselves. You know what I'm saying? And be careful, and be careful of the sea waves. Because trust me, man. This is, yo, yo, this ain't no joke. Well, Ray, say hello to your wife for us and tell her we appreciate her. No problem. I'll let her know. All right. Hi. Thanks for calling, Ray. Have a good know. night, brother. Dive, dive, dive. Uh, yeah, kapla. Dive. Kapla. <laughs> kapla. <laughs> Goodbye, Ray. <laughs> All right, guys, that was Ray from the Bronx. He calls us and says hello and lets us know what's going on, so... Um, thank you so much for calling, Ray. We really appreciate that. All right, guys, this is what you've been waiting for. This is the part of the show where we actually talk about Star Trek. So we're about to dive right in. Every week on our Facebook page on Friday, uh, although things are out of whack because they dropped two episodes on us, but that's the situation. Every Friday, I ask you guys on our Facebook page, score this week's episode on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And uh, I tabulate all those scores. And same thing as I do with the fan shout-outs. You, you want to catch my attention if you want your comment read on the air. And that's what we're about to do. So, Eric, what did our Facebook fans think about Lost in Translation? Uh, well, overall, it seems pretty good. Top fan Danny Nusis says a solid eight. Great fresh episode. I enjoyed Kirk and Sam scenes as brothers, LOL. We know George lived in the prime line long enough to see Kirk take command of Enterprise. Hopefully we see that. Uh, thanks, Danny. Stephen St. Clair said an eight. Great writing, great acting. While I love the nostalgia at the end, a little bit goes a long way. Only complaints first. Ten minutes in, I could tell you the entire plot line. This concept has been used too many times. If it's going to be reused, give it a twist. Second, the tension between Sam and Jim seemed out of place. Maybe it was the writing. I don't know. It just seemed unnaturally forced. But overall, a great addition to a great season. Thank you, Stephen. Vinny Baggs also gave it an 8. I felt this episode echoed Trek at its best. There was good sci-fi with character development that was appreciable. I simply had to take a point off for playing on my soft spot for the Hemmer character, but it was done in a masterful, not-in-your-face way. Thank you, Vinny. Top fan Donnie McNeil said a seven-solid Trek episode. Good development between Romaine and Kane. Classic Trek alien feel to the deuterium life form. Nice to see Jim and his brother provide some backstory on the Kirk family and the first fairly underwhelming meeting between Kirk and Spock. The only thing I wanted out of this episode that I didn't get, hence the score I gave, was La'an and Kirk having a more in-depth conversation or something. Just more than what we got. We, as the audience don't know what Jim was up to before he met Carol Marcus. So there's some definite shipping going on on my part. <laughs> Me too, Donnie. Thank you so much. Top fan Dorata Pudo says, Seven, I like the general concept of aliens being communicating with humans by using their emotions to project their uh, on their own predicament onto them. I think, yeah, that's what that means. The idea to link this to Uhura's grief 
was quite smart. But I also liked how helpful, kind, and intelligent Kirk was acting despite getting decked in the nose. <laughs> but I dislike how this series must spell everything out, over-explain it. Hidden grief? Okay. But a person explaining how and why she's been dealing with it? Artificial. Siblings competition? Yes. But spelled out? A guy telling their sibling directly, I won't congratulate you because I envy you, rare, and zero subtlety. And the Palia and Una exchanges, I prefer to pretend they weren't in this episode. But on the whole, really not that bad. Thank you, Dorada. Top fan Andrew Wells said I would say eight. A good solid episode with good character development. At the end of the day, this is not the kind of episode I would try to sell a new fan on, but it is the kind of episode that keeps me happy to play Star Trek episode roulette. Yes, I agree. Random episode, boom, not so bad. Top fan Adam J. Waltrip said solid eight. B story was a bit weak. Una is a better person than someone whining over a C grade. Come on. First officer of the Federation flagship. I think she's better than a petty than the petty nonsense. Otherwise, good all around. Hammer was a nice touch. Top fan Jan Payne said a nine. Uhura, Spock, and Kirk, soon to be the future crew of the USS Enterprise, were together in the final scene. Her solid eight. One Nick nitpick is using the beings from another dimension type thing that they just used in charades. I like that they are giving each other the main characters a moment episode. I also love the very subtle first meeting of Kirk and Spock. Todd Paints gave it a 10. The final scene with Uhura, Kirk, and Spock together was fantastic. The writing in the series reminds me of the original. Hats off to all involved in bringing this to us. Jim Stoffel, 8 out of 10. Great Uhura and Alien story. Love Kirk. And I also love the Kirk's bickering story. Una and Palia's story felt uncomfortable to me, and I didn't like their scenes. Phil Keller said a 6. James T. Kirk seemed shoehorned in. He's supposed to be the first officer of the Farragut, yet he seems like he was on vacation hanging out on the Enterprise during a critical mission. He should have been coordinating efforts with number one on the station. How they determined there were life forms in the deuterium was very ambiguous, and they should have at least had a scan where it definitely revealed to them before blowing up a whole station of that importance based on a feeling. Not hard if Uhura picked up the right frequency. A little bit of exposition goes a long way. Other than that, solid acting, and I'm starting to like this version of James T. Kirk more. I like the Kirk brothers' interactions, and I also like the technical callbacks to how deuterium works as a fuel, not dilithium. Thanks, Phil. LJ Alfaro said, I think I'd give it an eight. Kirk came in and honestly stole the show. He really was good at being a helping hand to her hero while she went through all this. And finally, D. Neely gave it an eight. The interplay between Uhura and Kirk was amazing. We're really enjoying Paul Wesley's portrayal of Kirk. He's rapidly turning into my favorite Kirk. Poor Lamont, mm. though. The sit-down at the end was perfect. Fan score this week, guys, of a 7.9, which is you know, fairly solid. Uh, what is that, third highest on the season uh, after the nines of Ad Aspera per Aspera and charades from last week. So, uh, yeah, let's chat about it. Nice. Yeah, and uh, not to tease you guys a little bit, but you're going to want to tune in next week because we have the highest scoring episode ever. 
we're going to talk about next week. So you want to be here for that one. All right. So Charles isn't with us here, but that's okay because... It's time for cadet training, and Charles was nice enough to put this together for us, even though he won't be here. So I'm going to try to fill in for Charles. There are big shoes to fill, but I'm going to give it a shot. So first, we want to start off with George and Sam Kirk. Uh, They first appear in the TOS episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Season 1, Episode 7. The first mention of Sam. TOS Operation Annihilate, Season 1, Episode 29. Sam's death. The funny thing about that particular uh, death scene, I'm sure I'm positive that Paul knows this, but who played Sam Kirk in that episode? Well, I think it was played by uh, by William Shatner's mustache, as I recall, right? Isn't it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Through, this is a very... I, you know, I mean, basically, wait a second, hold on a minute. Michael Westmore <laughs> comes over with some spirit gum, and he sort of, like, presses it down there. Now, lean into the shadow here. There you go. And kind of stick out your gut. There you go. Okay, you're Sam. I think it was like that. Right? Nobody so, yeah. will notice that it's William Shatner with a fake mustache. So. <laughs> <laughs> no one noticed, hence why we're not talking about it. Okay. Hallucinations. A TOS store lead. Season 1, Episode 15, PNG, Where No One Has Gone Before, Season 1, Episode 6, PNG, Night Terror, Season 4, Episode 17, and DS9, The Emissary, Season 1, Episode 1, DS9, If Wishes Were Horses, Season 1, Episode 6, Swinging Over to Voyager, the Episode 1, which was Season 4, Episode 25, Checking Out Enterprise. We have Hallucination, Season 2, Episode 10, Lower Deck, Room for Growth, Season 3, Episode 4. Uh, we also have Enterprise Marauder, Season 2, Episode 6. That's where we find out about Zertanium. All right, guys, so that's our uh, cadet training for the week. Now it's time to talk about the episode. Um, Charles, who, who's going to score the episode since Charles isn't here? Eric, you want to do that? Sure, I got it. All right, so Charles gives this week's episode a 9.0. 9.0 from Charles. Good. Do we know anything All about right. what what made him choose the 9.0 or no? No, no. Um, I, I, no, I asked him to put something okay. together, but he was busy. So, so we got a 9.0 from Charles. So that's what we're going to start out with. Um, all right. Charles went. Okay, it popped away too quick. Anyways, <laughs> so Charles gave it a 9.0. The fans gave it a 7.9. And I guess I guess I'll start out with this one because i got to tell you guys, something happened during this episode that has never, ever happened to me unless I got bit in the ass by a spider, and that is I fell asleep during the episode. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yes, I found it to be so dull and boring I actually fell asleep, believe it or not. I fell asleep. Uh, Have you gone and back I, and watched it all the way through again? Yeah, I went back and watched it. I, I, fell, I fell asleep like 10 minutes before <laughs> the end. I went back and, and rewatched it. And I got to tell you, here's my take on it. 
there were some excellent moments in this episode, some top-notch moments. Kirk and Spock meeting, the interaction between Ahura and Kirk was just, I mean, it was great. Seeing Hemmer again brought a tear to me eye. I mean, I love Hemmer. Uh, seeing the Walking Dead Hammer uh, was, I mean, awesome. Uh, but the story itself uh, felt like a rehash um you know, of TN, of a TNG episode uh, to me, and I, I just I didn't find it interesting at all. Um, didn't like the interaction with Pella and and Una. It just didn't seem to fit for me. Uh, blowing up the space station, I, I did. There was just a lot of it that just didn't work for me, and uh, hence I fell asleep. I had to go back and rewatch it and try to stay awake because it just, to me, it just felt like it was just thrown together. Like, let's write a scene here, write a scene there, let's do this, and call it an episode. Uh, acting was great. I think that Ohora needed an episode like this, something she never got on TOS. So I was really thrilled to see her, like, you know, dive into her character. That was awesome. That The, the Hammer thing, oh, man. But... At the same time, I felt these are these are trained Starfleet officers. You know, Hemmer, you know, is dead. He died last year, and you know they're holding that over the new chief engineer. I, I kind of, you know, I, you know, these are trained professionals. I, I don't think that they would have been doing that, in my opinion. But at any rate, um, so I wasn't overly impressed with this one. I was going to give it a lower score. After I went back and rewatched it, after I didn't fall asleep, um, there was enough. Oh yeah, let's talk about. So, when did when was was titanium always the ship's fuel? Did I Tarium? miss something all the fifty five years of watching Star Trek? Because I was under the impression that it was the lithium, and that's no. why the burn happened. No, Where, when did this, this happen? A, this is a huge. This is a huge misconception about Star Trek in general. Um, like the way that a Star Trek warp engine works, not to go into like too fine of detail, but like it's a matter antimatter reaction. And the thing that focuses the reaction is the dilithium, which is the crystal. And so the crystal itself is not the actual fuel for the ship, but the reaction that fuels the ship can't happen without the dilithium crystal to focus it. So the deuterium is actually part of the matter-antimatter reaction, and the dilithium is the thing that focuses that reaction into energy. And that's why when you get to Romulan ships that run on singularities, you know, they don't need dilithium because they have a different way of focusing the reaction. Uh, they also don't have a matter-antimatter reaction, but it's like they have a different way of focusing the energy than the dilithium, so they also don't need that. So there you and go. That's the, Erica, that's the Mike, more... Am yeah. I correct, Eric, that this is something that we heard about for the very first time only on Next Gen, but was never referenced in the original series? That is correct. Uh, they, they, um, in the original series, they referred to dilithium as a fuel source, but um, like once you got Michael Okuda in the TNG days, and he actually laid down the technical manuals of how all this stuff is, you know, theoretically supposed to work. Um, that was the thing: was dilithium is not the source. It's the thing that focuses the reaction. 
So I don't know how I missed this in, in, in you know, 58 years of life, but I'm, I missed it. I'm just a bad Trekkie, I guess. Um, so No, like, it's wow. just like, like there are geeky Trekkies and there are nerdy Trekkies, and I tend to be a geeky Trekkie, so it's not your fault, <laughs> Jim. We all have our special areas of interest, Jim. It's true. <laughs> well, you know, I thought it was – we have always heard about the buzzard collectors, but what are they collecting, buzzards? So now we know what they, what they actually do. Um, you know, we saw a nemesis. They collected a bunch of explosive gas and blew up the Sonya. Uh, so that was cool. But the over, I'm getting off track here. Overall, um, you know, I, I bumped my score up from a six to a seven just because, you know, Hemmer was back briefly, but he was there. And I loved mm. his relationship with Ahura. And so I bumped it up from a six to a seven. So that's, that's my score for this episode of seven. So. What do you think, Paul? Well, I don't think I disliked it quite as much as you did, I would say. Um, though it's going to be interesting when we talk about scoring. <laughs> but uh, on the whole, uh, for me, I, I've only watched it the one time. I have to admit I haven't watched it the second time yet. But I found the overall, some of our fans, uh, when Eric was reading their comments earlier, made some really good points. And for me... I just kind of felt like this episode felt very perfunctory, right? It didn't have anything really special about it uh, to me. Um, it had a thing, uh, had a few things in it that were intended to feel special, but not executed particularly well. Um, and uh, I think also for me, this episode had the misfortune of coming on the heels of charades which is a tremendous episode, right? Really, really clever and well-directed. And this just sort of felt a little flaccid in comparison um, from the directing and writing standpoint. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to warm up to uh, this iteration of Kirk, and it just ain't happening for me. I'm, I'm not enjoying his uh, delivery or uh, interpretation of the character very much. Maybe that'll change, but it hasn't really changed yet. He has occasional moments where he's, you know, all right, but uh, the whole meeting Spock at the end, not a classic moment for me at all. It seemed really like crammed in there and it didn't have any kind of iconic feeling to it. And it would just seem like, you know, an unnecessary trying to create a moment and it, it didn't work at all. So um, uh, I like the family dynamics uh, with uh, Sam, but <laughs> Sam's a lot better actor than this guy. I got to be honest. I think he's way more interesting. Um, and I'm way, fo fo you know, I'm following the mustache more than I'm following, uh, you know, 98 pounds Jim Kirk. Uh, that his hasn't caught on for me yet. So uh, I did enjoy the Hemmer stuff. I'm assuming that they got him to come back and shoot new scenes, and these weren't leftover, you know, unused scenes from uh, the first season. That would be my assumption, right? Which is great that they have that capability to bring him back and have get gl more glimpses of the character again, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, I like that. But the story just was really, you know, like a lot of people said, we just did the hidden aliens you couldn't see thing quite a bit we did that in season three of picard we did it in charades just last week it seems like it's kind of you know 
we're wringing the trope sponge dry on that score. And I think it's, it's, it's get a little tired. And somebody had said you could predict where the episode was going right away. And I really felt that too, in terms of the plot. So um, a little dull for me, uh, you know, some, some nice little moments, but it, it unfortunately has the, you know, the bad luck of falling in between two really tremendous strong episodes. Right. And so I, I, I don't think it's going to be one I want to, particularly revisit that much um yeah it just it just didn't have the mojo for me at all um and yeah i i I wish i could get on board with this guy uh with kirk but uh it's just there's a lack of you know it's it's what i used to say right it's the it thing either have it or you don't in terms of what draws people to like a particular performer you know star quality the it factor and i'm not getting it Paul Wesley, um, you know, and I want that to change, right? I never wish anybody ill, except for Mitch McConnell, um, you know. <laughs> you, should, you should choke on a chicken bone already and die publicly. Um, but, you know, I, I want him to be able to do it and find his, uh, you know, find his footing. But you hold this guy up against Ethan Peck. And there's no contest, I mean, in the acting department, right? The Spock's way stronger. He's got a deep bench of range to make the character his own while acknowledging, you know, where he, you know, who came first, right? Very deft work. I found this kind of, it felt like one of those lesser episodes that just doesn't really create any valuable additions to the mythos, right? And the outer space jazz thing at the end there in the in the in the bar i was like wow i had to hit the mute button there that was really bad i don't know whose idea that was but that was not good (laughs) not so great for me so um and like i'm saying i i I probably sound like i'm really negative on it but i I liked it a little bit more than jim did yet i think we have a very different uh grading scale in terms of how we approach our numbers uh jim Uh, for me this is a six um, yet I feel like I liked it overall more than you did. But uh, to me, a seven is way too generous. Um, I would say this is probably a six. Um, there were some moments in the episode where it sank down to a five. It just didn't really add a lot. And the whole idea that that uh, Pike would just, based on no real information, right, hastily uh, <laughs> destroy... Uh, the entire fueling station that's a hugely important strategic asset to the quadrant, right? It's kind of like, you know, uh, Ripley destroying the, <laughs> the star freighter at the end of, you know, uh, of the first alien. I don't think that uh, Starfleet's going to be so happy with Pike or accept this because it's like, you know, he did the equivalent of like, you know, pulling a Pearl Harbor there. It's just like, dude, you, really? You had to blow up the whole thing. And it's just that I just, that's a tough one to get by. It's one of those moments where as a viewer, I feel my uh, credibility didn't my, you know, is really not just stretched thin, but kind of put through the cheese grater, right? It's just, that's very hard to buy, you know, all for the, you know, somebody somewhere seems to feel that you've got to have a great big explosion every now and then in order to create cinematic feeling television. And I would love to have a few words with that person because it's just not necessary. And it really, those are always the moments that really stretch credibility and uh, make the show feel less believable when they should be focusing on character and story, 
much more. So um, that's about it for me. I'm saving most of my comments for next week. Um, for you know, no, you know, everyone knows what happens next week's episode. And I just, I will, all I will say is, if you have not watched it yet, um, buckle up and prepare to be ma- uh, delighted. <laughs> it's pretty damn cool. delightful. Um, so yeah, that's it for me, yeah. and uh, that's that's about it, brother. I, I I wanted to talk a little bit about about that. What is does it seem weird to anybody else besides me that they have a nightclub on the Enterprise? I mean, no, the it's like ten forward, right? Can... It's a bar they go to, right? And occasionally, well, I'm sure. I mean, we had so many instances of like an original series and next gen where in your off hours people play musical instruments, right? So I mean, that's kind of been uh, a given that we've seen happening. It's just uh, it's generally in the past been depicted in a little bit more believable way, right? But uh, I can, I don't have any well, issue with that. I can believe that that's a thing that would happen. I mean, your space travel and being on a vessel, ask anybody in the Navy, it's freaking boring, right? I mean, you have a long stretches of time where you don't get to do much. So getting a chance to create some fun social things seems super normal and, uh, and uh, you know, justified to me. Yeah, I'll just say well, uh, Discovery had a nightclub. So I don't think it's that weird. And I think that pre-holodeck years, you're going to need some way to entertain your crew. So, yeah, I mean, bars, nightclubs, quarks, musical, you know, musical places. I mean, yeah. people need to exercise their right brain. So, And I think so. it's a good, uh, you know, from a writing perspective, not in this episode, though, important to emphasize. Um, I think you <laughs> occasionally it's really good to be able to have an environment where people can meet collectively in a group that doesn't involve doing their job or doing their work where they can kind of either lock antlers or confide things to each other and kind of, you know, engage in a more human way apart from their job, kind of a a time off place, right? 10 forward being the, you know, classic example of that from uh, next gen. I mean, the 10 forward environment got used really, really well a lot, right? I mean, sometimes people would even take hostages there. I mean, it's a great, uh, you so I, I I don't have an issue with that man I think it's believable I think it's okay to have that I'm thinking mountain climbing and camping myself but that's just me <laughs> well I mean people have different ways of blowing off steam right so that's the <laughs> magic of the holodeck is like you can do whatever you want but pre-holodeck you got to have yeah. dedicated stuff well let's uh let's hear from David but let's go to Dave. We have, Dave has been awful quiet. But let's hear from the donut guy himself. Beep. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, man. This this episode, oh, I would be pretty disappointed with it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this series supposed to have the, uh, the bad guy supposed to be the Gorn? Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on how you're looking at I just mentioned it. that this, uh, <laughs> this fueling depot was on the edge of Gorn space, according to Spock, right? That, that's yeah. strategic importance, you know? And so that's, that's a, because, I mean, that was a big statement for Spock to make, right? Mm-hmm. And by saying something like that, it's like you cannot have Pike blow that up without there being some consequences, it's like when yeah. Spock stole the Enterprise a few weeks ago, right? It's like people do these grandiose acts of rebellion that totally fly in the face of the institution that they are, you know, 
working for it, but there's never any consequences. But yeah, yeah it's a, and we know the the Gorns are coming in a couple more episodes. We know that pretty well, and well, I think there's been a little bit of referential stuff to it. But yeah, they mentioned the Gorn space thing real clearly in this one. Yeah, that's where I thought it was heading. I had I had full intention that it was going to be some sort of Gorn structures deep inside the nebula that would mess with people's uh, you know hearing or whatever. Because that noise that hers heard, I thought that was Gorn language. And I kept thinking in the back of my mind, oh, cool, this is going to be a Gorn episode. It's going to be fine. It's going to be like they're going to discover something awesome that they're going to end up, like, I don't know, doing yeah, something to the Gorn. I had some thoughts like that. I, think, I, 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 I remember thinking that, too. That's a good point. And then we find out, oh, but yeah. Uh, Which I think might have been, actually been cooler, David. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would have been so much better. If, like, the I'd like your, your version manipulative uh some sort of thing to the crew and uh honestly for some odd reason when i was watching this episode i had no idea that the set that pelia and una were on was the space station i thought that was the ship and i'm like okay they're in the warp core room or something and i was like it took me until the end of the episode to find out that they were actually on the space station i was like wait a minute <laughs> Well, you know, you're busy eating donuts, stuff happens, you know, it's easy, it's easy to get distracted, man. I had to feed my tribbles, but yeah, so technically, this episode kind of really disappointed me in a lot of ways. Um, uh, 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 so actually, Paul, I had a question for you. You were saying that um, the Kirk character did not make you feel like this Paul Wesley guy was acting like Kirk in a way. Would it help if he had the mustache? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's well, let Sam keep the mustache. I think that's, okay. that's he's he's got province on that man. No, I feel you know. I just I'm just say I I think I've said it before, but I don't want a Shatner impersonation. I don't. I don't, I really don't. That's not what I mean at all. I just mean the the main characteristics of how you associate uh, Kirk and what we think of him being like as being a younger, brash guy, right? Yeah. But this is not the guy who got into ongoing fights with Finnegan at the Academy, right? This is, mm. uh, this is not the guy who is haunted by Tarsus four and Kodos, the executioner. These are, these are not the things that I'm, you know, want to see front loaded in, in a believable, you know, uh, Oh God, I'm going to say it. Canon, uh, appropriate, rendition of Jim Kirk. Maybe that's going to be addressed, but I just, just, just canning just doesn't really fit no for me. It's a, I know, I know. I'm not saying be a slave to it, but it's just like, but it, it just, it's, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, my gut reactions, which sometimes, you know, thanks to my Zodiac sign, are a little extreme. And hopefully uh, over time, I will, I will be a lot mellower towards this but my just initial reaction to him has not been strong i wish it was better because i'm sure he's a great guy okay well i was just curious but uh, mustache so... notwithstanding you know but i, I used to rock a <laughs> what about vampire so, you know, what do i know <laughs> okay well going off with this whole episode um uh i was going back and forth on what to score it uh disappointed with the story plot i got disappointed with a lot of the different things. The only thing I really actually did like was when her uh, uh, was hallucinating, uh, hallucinating the uh, the uh, 
the sound and uh, the the uh, the person that grabbed her when she was walking away from the uh, the mess hall was when she turned around to punch the guy uh, that it turned out to be Kirk. And I thought that was actually a really interesting twist and that she wasn't just punching the air or anything. So I, I did like that. That was really interesting. And um, to me, I don't know. I, I'm I'm going back and forth between a five and a seven. <laughs> so I'm probably just going to go right in the middle and say a six. All right. A six it is. And guess what? Guess what, Eric? You get to bring up the caboose on this one. Woo! Uh, I always like the caboose. Uh, you know, it's the uh, most versatile of train cars. It's got the brake. You turn the little wheel, things happen. No. It's got a coffee pot and a stove. <laughs> got a coffee pot and a stove. Um, so, I, okay, so I'll kind of, in the context of everything everybody else has said, I will say that, um, did the story feel familiar? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, it felt like I'd, you know, seen this before. Um, I th- so I think then knowing that we have to kind of rely on the character interactions and the little scenes here and there that we that we get um, thematically, you know, difficulties with communication in space, I think are something that we're likely to face big time if we ever get out there. Uh, like, I just think beings out there are going to be really hard to talk to and it's not going to be... Uh, Hoshi Sato's magic universal translator that, uh, you know, solves all our problems. So I always enjoy episodes where we get an alien that doesn't just have bumps on their forehead and communicate in some sort of way that the universal translator can automatically just, you know, mitigate any any problems or any misunderstandings or that kind of stuff. So I appreciate the concept of aliens are foreign. Um, they're hard to communicate with. They in in this one we kind of get another trope that we've seen, which is that the Federation is doing harm without kind of knowing that it's doing harm. You know, we got that whole plot line in TNG where you can't go past warp whatever because it destroys the subspace around you, which unfortunately they sort of dropped and forgot about. But I like there being consequences for us being out there exploring aliens that we don't completely understand and I don't feel like I need to have aliens that completely fit into a box that are easy to understand and that kind of stuff. So I actually appreciate, even though it felt a little tropey to have the same type of uh, storyline, I guess, it was okay with me because I always like storylines where aliens are hard to communicate with. Um, I have to say I'm extremely disappointed about the release schedule, like the fact that they released this episode on Thursday and then they released um, those old scientists on Saturday. To me, it completely destroyed any chance this episode ever had of having any honest um, uh, opinions actually offered about it. Because I think by the time people were talking about this episode, they had already seen the next episode and therefore their opinion of this one was naturally diminished because the next one is so good. Now, uh, full disclosure, I specifically have not even watched the next episode yet because I didn't want to have that tainting my kind of view of this episode. So I haven't seen these old sci- those old scientists yet. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Um, so maybe my number here is a little higher because of that. I'm not really sure. Um, regarding like Paul Wesley's take on Lieutenant Kirk, uh, 
yeah, I, I get what Paul's saying. He doesn't seem to have that kind of magic it factor. There are a couple of actors I feel like on this show that do have the magic it factor. I feel like Pike, Anson Mount is definitely one. I feel like uh, Unichin Riley and Rebecca Romaine is definitely one of those. I feel like Uhura is definitely one of those. I feel like Sam Kirk is actually one of those. But I think it's important to also note that I don't think anybody wants James T. Kirk taken over this show. I don't think anybody wants James T. Kirk to be the focus of this show. I don't even think that this show has to be a lead up to James T. Kirk being the captain of the Enterprise. So the fact that he is a little overly brash, a little, um, you know, charismatic, but not with that same kind of warmth that uh, William Shatner, I think, brought to the character. It, Paul Wesley just kind of feels distant and, and cold in his portrayal. I feel like that's okay because he's just sort of getting to know his crew and in the same way that Pike is a captain that feeds off of his crew, I think that James T. Kirk is that guy too. I feel like he's a better captain because of the people he surrounds us and I feel like Lieutenant Kirk is just kind of learning that along the way. So I don't, I don't really have a problem with him not being extremely compelling because I certainly don't want him to detract from the other characters like Uhura, who I, I feel like the episode, the series has actually, you know, focused a, a bit on Uhura's character, which I like. This is the at least second Uhura featured episode that we've gotten, which I, I kind of dig on because I think uh, she's a great actress and I love her portrayal of the character. So, you know, I, I, I don't really have a problem with Paul Wesley's portrayal of Kirk because I don't think he has to be the star of the show, and, and he's not right now. And in fact, Sam, I love the fact that they're actually allowing Sam to shine. I love that they show how different those two brothers are, right? <laughs> how Sam is kind of like out there to enjoy life, um, whereas you know uh, James T. is so serious about things uh, all the time. So I like that they give Sam more explosive emotional moments um, along the way. Um, you know, in terms of like cool science fiction stuff, like I love the whole idea that they're actually refueled the ship with the Bassard collectors. Like I, I must admit that I really geeked out on that. Um, you know, cool little graphics of like little things moving as they kind of prepare to accept the stellar gases that will refuel the ship. Um, I thought that was, that was just super cool and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and I'll just comment lastly, I guess, on the interaction between Palia and Una uh, on the station there. So, listen, I think it was pretty out of line for for Pike to just destroy that that station, you know, based on whatever Uhura had to say. There were definitely some big plot holes there. Uh, I mean, he should have freaking checked in with Starfleet at least, I guess. But that being said, the two who were on the station trying to everything booted up and working, Palia and Una, I actually really liked that interaction. And I liked the fact that Palia had been her, uh, her prof in the, you know, background and that she teased out of Una that it wasn't the sea that made her upset. It was a different situation. That to me is a perfect way to use Carol King's character as that kind of like wise old sage to be able to see things in people that they can't see in themselves and be able to tease those out. So I actually totally dug on those scenes with the two of them on the space station. I thought it was pretty good. So um, so I'm actually going to bump this up just a little bit. I give this episode a 7.8. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, 
it didn't knock my socks off, and there were some plot holes here and there for sure. Um, but yeah, I'll give it a 7.8. Carry on. All right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to give just us add to what you were saying about uh, Paul Wesley, though, and Kirk, man. I think he made some really good points. Um, what I did like in his portrayal here was how um, uh, pretty quickly he was willing to believe Uvora, right? Yeah. And he, he wasn't like, you know, arms folded, skeptical, like, oh, come on, what do you mean? I mean, he was, he, he kind of was willing to very quickly make a leap of faith and, and, you know, just based on how he, she was behaving, you know, kind of yeah. accept where she was coming from and not dismiss her. And I just, women characters get dismissed. We have like oh, centuries of just dismissal, right? And I liked the fact that he was willing to go out on a bit of a limb and, and be her ally and, well, and uh, what, support and her. That, was, that's the future I want to live in. Yeah, and what we learn from TOS is that Captain Kirk is a captain who leads with his gut, right? Yeah. Like, you can tell him whatever, but he's going to do the thing that he thinks his gut tells him is the right thing to do. And so, to me, this show is completely writing him consistent with that, uh, you know, backdrop. Um, I, I guess he was... I just wish he was a little more charming, right? You no, know, no, you're right, but but you don't want him to take over the show, right? And I feel like when you look at TOS, it is Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Like, that's the show, and everybody else is a, like, not to be too, you know, rude about it, but, like, everybody else is a fill-in, and, and it's really those two, or those three, excuse me, that the series focuses around, and, you know... I mean, William Shatner came from a vaudeville background, right? Like, in the show, he emotes more than uh, any reasonable person should emote. If if Paul Wesley even approached any sort of level of that charm or that engagement or whatever, he would completely take over the series. Yeah. But it almost makes me wonder, you know, and uh, I don't know uh, to what degree anyone's even considered this, but, I mean, we have a whole lot of him on this show, right? Which, and I agree with you. It seems kind of like, what's the point of that? Right. And especially if like, you know, I, I get the temptation because you're back in that era to want to have these elements, but you know, but we know pretty clearly that they only really met, you know, uh, like once or twice. Right. I mean, really, uh, they didn't meet a lot. I mean, they, it felt like yeah, a setup. They, I mean, in this in this one, when the they plan, meet, it felt like they said in the writers' room, you know what? We have to have Kirk and Spock meet at some point during this episode. Let's try and write the entire episode so that it leads to that point. And then yeah, it was a, it, it fizzled. I agree, and it, to me, it, it makes me, you know, because uh, I think on original series he says I I met Pike one time yeah. when he was promoted to fleet captain, which we just saw, right? But you can't have them keep bumping into each other, right? So it's kind of walking up to that whole you know, too much excessiveness in terms of, you know, pushing the boundaries, yeah. the envelope. So I'm I wonder if like, their plan is like, back. you know, after like three more seasons of, uh, of Strange New Worlds, Strange New Worlds gets canceled and that the game plan long term is to reboot Star Trek, reboot the original series Oof. and take a couple of actors off of here. Anson Mount rides off in the sunset, you know, Grand Old Man, you know, Delta Rays, all that stuff, right? And uh, and that the plan is to is, to, and I don't want to do that because I don't want to relive and revisit 
my you know season one of the original series with a bunch of new actors and weird retcon nonsense. I, I hope that's not what they're thinking. But but otherwise, like, why is he here so much? It doesn't really make sense. So you make great points. Well, I have a big feeling that they're probably going to reboot the uh, original series. Um, I don't know why, but my guts are telling me that. <laughs> but the thing is, is that if they do, it's going to appeal to a lot of younger audiences so that, you know, when they go watch the TOS series. Cause, I, I mean, how many younger kids or people today watch the TOS? Probably not a lot, right? Well, yep. you know what? You know what? It, it's the donuts that are bothering your gut, David. Too many donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do want to say one thing, though. Um, I did like in this episode that the um, rivalry between Sam and Kirk seemed to be more apparent than it was in the TOS. So if they do end up rebooting it, we're going to probably see a lot more of those people. So I'm well, and that's good, David. Like, I just want to comment on that because I feel like the, the, them building that in strange new worlds is awesome because when Sam dies in TOS, Kirk feels terribly guilty. And the more that they kind of like play up this relationship between the two of them, the way that they did in this episode, it makes way more sense you know, when Sam dies, that Kirk has this like terrible gut. It wasn't like he's got a reason to be sad for his brother's death, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if so they do fair. reboot it, it's probably going to um, cause a lot of fallout for a lot of the Star Trek fans. But I don't know. I'm I'm kind of, I hope they don't, but I at the same time, yes and no. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird, but oh, well, that's my take on it. Well, <laughs> So Jim, before you uh, before you ask me what the final score was, what was your well, personal I was, score again? I, I, I can't gonna, remember what that was. Yeah, I was going to interject something here for a second because we're, we're when, when we're talking about rebooting TOS, the one thing that that hasn't been mentioned is that we only saw three seasons of the five year mission. If you don't count the animated series. And then there was another five-year mission between then and the motion picture. There's there's plenty of time to fill in with TOS that we don't know about, that they could do a time jump and fill in all those lost years that we know absolutely nothing about if they felt like doing that. They don't necessarily have to go back to where no man has gone before and redo each one of those episodes. They can jump ahead and start where we don't know and fill that in if they choose to go in that direction, which I would be fine with if they decided to do that. But at any rate, uh, Eric, we, we still have a lot to talk about. So what, what are our scores compared to the fan scores? Well, Jim, I didn't, I, the only one I missed was your score. Do you remember what you scored this episode? A seven. A seven. So with Jim's score of seven, that gives us a, a Trexpert score of 7.2 for this episode. So uh, just Whoa. a little bit below the fan scores. All right. All right. Well, speaking of fans, we have another fan on the line. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel like talking to a fan? Sure. 100%. I think so. Yeah, let's see what we can do here. Good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello, fan. 
Hello. Hello, computer. <laughs> Jim, you're just fooling, weren't you? Okay. No, I, I. Okay. Well. All right. I guess. Did the cat we have to push the mute button? That's what it was. Yeah, it was the cat's it's, fault. It's AJ. He's playing with my bat list again. He, everyone wants to touch my bat list, even the cat. All right. Well, at any rate. Okay. So it's time for us to do our Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. Okay, guys, this is the part of the show where we get to go back and have some real fun and revisit all iterations of Star Trek with our Star Trek birthdays. We always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of the Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we have eight members of our Star Trek community we're going to be remembering. The first is actor Ben Slack. He was the actor who portrayed the Klingon Katal in the Next Generation four-season episode, Redemption. He also reprised that role in the fifth season episode, Redemption 2. Uh, in that episode, he had no dialogue or screen credit, but he was there for sure. Uh, he also had recurring roles on television series such as Cagney and Lacey, The Wonder Years, and The Practice, and was also seen in the pilot episode of the popular medical drama St. Elsewhere way back in 1982. Many, many television and TV movie credits to his name. Uh, ben Slack lost him back in 2004. Happy birthday and lots of love going to Ben. Also, happy birthday to Jacqueline Brooks, the actress uh, who portrayed Admiral Brand in the Next Generation fifth season episode, The First Duty. And before you ask Jim, she's one of the good ones. She received credit good, in this good. episode <laughs> as a special guest star. Uh, in this episode, she essentially is uh, just does her duty. She, uh, you might remember that she actually presided over a board of inquiry into the death of a cadet in this episode. Joshua Albert was killed thanks to the shenanigans of uh, the, the four younglings there. Jean-Luc Picard called her a formidable woman, which I totally like. Jacqueline Brooks also starred in the film Ghost Story, and following her appearance in Star Trek, she played supporting roles in the thriller Whispers in the Dark, the thriller The Good Son, and in the drama Losing Isaiah from 1995. So Jacqueline Brooks would have had a birthday the 24th of July. She was born in 1930. Happy birthday, Jacqueline. Happy birthday as well to Phyllis Douglas, born July 24th, 1936. She was the actress who portrayed Yewen Mears in the origin, original series first season episode, The Galileo 7. She later would also portray Mavig in the third season episode, The Way to Eden. She made her feature acting debut at the age of two years old in the epic classic Gone with the Wind. Not a bad way to start it. She later appeared again without credit in the film Rain Tree Country, which also, of course, featured DeForest Kelly. You may have heard that name before. In 1959's Girls Town, she was the character Eleanor. Uh, alongside Eleanor Donahue, she also appeared in two episodes 
of one of my favorite shows from back in the day, Batman. That's right. She was in Batman with Montaigne. She retired from acting and sold recreational vehicles later in her life in Palm Springs, California. Thank you, Phyllis, for your Star Trek contributions, and happy birthday to you. Happy birthday as well to Biff Elliott, born July 26, 1923. He was the actor who played Schmitter in the original series first season episode, The Devil in the Dark, one of the best. He made his feature film debut starring as the popular detective Mike Hammer in 1953's I, Jury. He was a prominent fixture in many, many classic war films from the 1950s and 1960s and did a bunch of work with other Star Trek people, including Jeffrey Hunter, Frank Overton. Um, He was in 1965's Brainstorm, another great science fiction movie. Worked with Diana Moldar in 1977's Beyond Reason and worked with Mark Leonard in 1981's made-for-television movie Back to the Planet of the Apes. So Biff, all over the place, lived to be a ripe old age of 89 years old. Thank you, Biff, so much for your contributions and happy birthday to you. Happy birthday as well to Catherine Hayes. Catherine Hayes, born July 26, 1933, lived to be 88 years old. She was the actress who played Jem in the original series' third season episode, The Empath. And you're like, Jem, who's that? Well, you'll remember that actually that was the name chosen by Dr. McCoy for a mute humanoid empath from the planet uh, in the Minarian star system in that episode. Uh, He had to give her a name. Otherwise, he had to call her you. (laughs) Catherine Hayes was born Kay Piper. She appeared in many films and television shows, including the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Bonanza, The Virginian, and Night Gallery, and is most well-known to soap opera fans as Kim from As the World Turns, from 1972 to 2010, you guys. That is a super long time. I love these people who are in the soaps because they're on for like 30 or 40 years, and they play one character. Thank you, Catherine Hayes, for your Star Trek contributions. Happy birthday as well to Celeste Yarnall. Born July 26, 1944, she was the actress who portrayed Yeoman Martha Landon in the TOS second season episode, The Apple. Uh, She almost became a regular on Star Trek. She was kind of offered the choice of this short-term thing that's going to happen right now, or maybe you're going to get a bigger part in the future, and she decided to take the short one. So she was only in this one episode, but her other television credits include appearances on Bewitched, The Man from Uncle, Bonanza, Land of the Giants, and Melrose Place. She was in 1963's The Nutty Professor, another classic movie, and actually acted with Charles Bronson in The Mechanic, which is another great movie that I just really, really like quite a bit. She did a little bit of other stuff in her career in 2009. She guest voiced the role of Tapak in the film fan film produced series Star Trek The Continuing Mission so a little bit more Star Trek connection there for Celeste Yarnall happy birthday to you happy birthday as well to Bruce Watson born July 27, 1940 he was the American actor who portrayed Green and the M113 creatures assumed form of Green in the TOS first season episode The Man Trap and if you don't know what I'm talking about go watch the episode it's okay we'll wait The majority of Watson's acting roles were as expendables, characters who were killed off within an episode. What a way to make your career. He made his television debut in 1961 with an appearance on the sitcom My Three Sons, and that was followed up in 62 uh, with an appearance on the adventure series Route 66. 
Uh, he did a whole bunch of other television work and also did some voiceover work for children's shows in his career. So happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Bruce Watson. Happy birthday, last but certainly not least, to literally the woman who I consider to be, and check this, it's true, my absolute favorite Star Trek villain of all time. That's right, Estelle Louise Fletcher. Louise Fletcher, you know her as, born July 22nd, 1934, the absolutely epic Academy Award-winning Emmy Award nominated American actress who portrayed the Bajoran spiritual leader Vedic and later Kai Wen Adami in 14 episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. If you do not know who Kai Wen is, you probably have not watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine because she is a major player. Hard to believe she was only in 14 episodes because her, uh, her influence is certainly uh, far-reaching over far more than that. She is absolutely a screen legend in her own right. Uh, she was probably best known, uh, particularly back in the day, for her performance as the loathsome nurse Mildred Ratchet in the classic film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which earned her a 1975 Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. In fact, she is one of only six Star Trek performers to have actually been nominated for a Best Leading Actress Academy Award and one of only two... The other one being, guess who, Michelle Yeoh, to have actually won the award. Fletcher made a guest appearance on dozens of popular television series throughout the 1950s, and then she sort of took a break to raise some kids for about 20 years and eventually returned to her career in the 1970s. In 1983, Star Trek The Motion Picture special effects director turned feature film director and producer Douglas Trumbull cast her in the science fiction film Brainstorm. That's right, we talked about that earlier, but she was in it too. <laughs> she started acting in 1958, you guys, and continued all the way through 2017, a 59-year career, an absolute American treasure as far as I am concerned. And like I said, my favorite villain of all time. I love Kai Wen. I love Louise Fletcher. I don't know if you guys would like to say anything about her at the end of our remembrances here. Well, just like you said, man, a, a legend, and uh, that the character you mentioned from Deep Space Nine is great because you know they—that's a show we always like to talk about how political it was willing to get, right? And and not just political, but you know, casting a lens on the social, uh, you know, issues that we all contend with. You know, throughout history, we see people, you know, of poor moral character use religion as a weapon to do nefarious things. And, and I think she, she really brought that out and, uh, you know, uh, in, in pretty compelling ways. And she's just super subtle, uh, com, you know, commanding presence on screen. And, uh, and I agree. I think she, to, to not be familiar with her character from Deep Space Nine, you're really missing a lot. So just a, a phenomenal uh, performer, uh, Cuckoo's Nest, I mean, so many different things that she's done over the years. I mean, just a ton of work. And uh, as a legend, she's just, her, her death's still pretty fresh, right? Because yeah. we just lost her in 2022. And yep. Yeah, just just crazy. So, but uh, but she's done a ton of uh, of great work over the years. And uh, and we miss her tremendously. Really, really great, uh, uh, wonderful, uh, yep. wonderful person. She would have been somebody I like, I would have liked to have met. 
Like, I feel like I, w- I would have wanted to have thanked her for her career, you know, because it was simply so remarkable. There are a handful or, of actors out there who it, I feel if that If you happen to yeah. see her on the street, you might have crossed the street to avoid. To avoid <laughs> you might have been like scared to death of her. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, I'm going to yeah. cross the street now. <laughs> don't, don't know what she's capable of. Oh, my gosh. Well, great villain, great actress. Uh, and that, you guys, does it for our remembrances this week. So um, because we do not have our good friend Charles with us, I have assigned the following set of birthday stuff to our good friend Paul. So, Paul, take it away, buddy. Will do, man. Okay, I'm going to try to move us along here and not get too bogged down in, in minutia. But uh, birthday greetings go out to Ike Eisenman. Uh, he's an actor who played the role of uh, Peter Preston, who we famously remember from The Wrath of Khan. Happy birthday. Uh, Ike Eisenman did a lot of stuff, and I remember him from a show uh, back in uh, childhood called The Fantastic Journey. <laughs> so a lot of people may not remember that one, but uh, uh, old school sci-fi fans certainly will. Uh, because that was a, a fun show from back in the day. I'm pretty sure I'm not uh, forgetting that, but uh, really great stuff there. Also, happy birthday goes out to Jamie McShane, who played Jaban on the Picard first season episode, Remembrance. Also, Maps of Legends and the End is the Beginning. We saw Jaban quite a bit. Birthday greetings to Irene Kelly. She is the actress who appeared memorably in the role of Syrah, in one of my favorite original series, second season episodes, the Omega Glory that we watch around here just about every 4th of July. But uh, in, very memorable, helping break out of that jail cell <laughs> with Cloud William. And uh, to actor Michael Welch, we also would like to say happy birthday, who played uh, Artem in uh, the next uh, the next generation movie, Insurrection, Star Trek Insurrection. And a favorite of all of us here on the show, uh, big Deep Space Nine fans that we are, very happy birthday to actress Nana Visitor, best known for her portrayal of Major and later Colonel Kira Norris on Deep Space Nine. And we are hearing, seeing, experiencing that character again on Lower Decks, which is pretty phenomenal. So really, really great. Uh, what a talent. What a, a tremendously... Uh, uh, engaging. I, I feel like this is an actor who probably did a lot of theater work because uh, she just leans into those roles and tears it apart. Really, really great. Uh, uh, and you just, you knows how to bring that uh, dynamic vitality to every scene. So happy birthday, Nana Visitor. Come on the show sometime so we can talk to you about acting. That would be amazing. Got a couple more here before I pass the baton. Uh, it's birthday time for our friend Raven Dowda. Uh, the actress who played the role of Dr. Tracy Pollard on uh, Star Trek Discovery. Happy birthday. This next one is a personal favorite of mine. I am a huge fan of this individual, the great Ronnie Cox, actor, singer, songwriter, who we all know on Star Trek for having portrayed Captain Edward Jellicoe in Next Gen Six Season Episodes, Chain of Command Part 1 and Part 2. And Prodigy first season episodes, Masquerade, as well as Supernova Part 1. Edward Jellicoe is indelible. I mean, there's no forgetting that guy. Hardcore dude means, well, not quite evil, but, you know, not a, but a very realistically, you know, irascible person who would not be a great guy to have as your boss. Um, In the litany of things that uh, Ronnie Cox has done, the legendary movie Deliverance comes to mind. And, of course, the mother of all bad guys, 
from uh, RoboCop, right, Jim? <laughs> Dick Jones? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you and better don't, don't pray forget. that unholy creation of yours doesn't screw up. I mean, he's just when Ronnie Cox is a bad guy, it's the greatest thing ever. He's just a wonderful actor. If you've never seen Deliverance, and of course, go see it. If you're Beverly Hills Cop, too, that he was in. That's right. Good pick there, Jim. I'd forgotten all about that. And uh, uh, and just great. If you've never seen RoboCop, I, I don't even know what to say to you. You should probably hang up. <laughs> and then a couple more here real quickly, and I'll pass the baton on to Jim. First of all, happy birthday to Boris Krutenog. He is a Moldovan American actor who played the character of Lojour in Star Trek the Undiscovered Country, one of our favorite films ever. And then he later reprised that role in the Voyager third season episode, Flashback. Pretty cool. Happy birthday as well to Cress Williams, who played Talak Talan in the Deep Space Nine second season episode, The Gem Hadar. Pretty cool stuff there. And finally for me, it's birthday time and have a great one to Hungarian-Canadian actor Adam Maros, also works as a stuntman who played Kier in the Strange New World's first season episode, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. So happy birthday to all of you, but a special high five happy birthday to the man, Ronnie Cox. Uh, wow, uh, what a talent. And it's just, uh, if you're out there casting a cool movie and you need a weighty presence to play a, uh, you know, a, a slightly older and uh, still full of gravitas person cast Ronnie Cox. Cause he's awesome. That's my, that's, and I don't even want a percentage like your agent would Ronnie. I just, I just want to see you work, man. Okay. Passing it off to uncle Jim, which means you smell it. I do. It means there's probably Klingons in the air. If uncle Jim is going to wish someone a happy birthday, let's find out Jim. Uh, yes, I do have some Klingons. We want to say Kapla and wish him a space safe journey to Stovacor to Terrell Telford. Uh, and you're thinking, he didn't play a Klingon, did he? Well, kind of. Uh, he played the first Klingon that was affected by the disease that melted off your ridges. He played Marab in the Enterprise fourth season episode, Affliction and Divergence. He's the guy on the table that has Aurelian um, flu or whatever it was that interacted with the augment virus and his ridges melted off of his forehead right in front of you as he laid on the table. So I guess he was the first um, uh, smooth head Klingon, I guess, TOS version Klingon that we ever technically get to see since Enterprise took place before TOS. So happy birthday to Terrell Hilford. We also want to say happy birthday. Hi, Mon. That's right. We're back to Star Trek VI again. Uh, she was a Somali model and actress who plays the Camelois Mardia in Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. What is the difference? Between, I'm going to ask, what is the difference between a Camelois and a Changeling? Is Odo a Camelois or is that a different race? I, well, I don't, do not really I, I, think the, I think a Camelois keeps their uh, genitals in a different place, right? Oh, that's no, that's, yeah, that's the big blue guy. No, that's sorry. <laughs> no, if anyone knew that, it would be Eric. It's just no question. Uh, yeah, he's just a different, uh, a different species, right? Yeah, a I mean, clearly. Species. Clearly. You know, yeah. not uh, all, you know, 
all cameloids are changelings, but not all changelings are cameloids. Yeah, it's true. true. And I, the, I always got the sense that uh, cameloids had to touch the thing to change into it, but I may be off on that. I'm not sure. But I'm going to make that up now until somebody stops me. All right. Well, we've talked about him a lot tonight. Uh, we've seen him quite a few times. We're going to see him singing in an upcoming episode of Strange New World. Woo! We want to say happy birthday to the brand new Captain Kirk. Uh, something that we neglected to mention in this in our review is this is the first time that we saw him play Prime Captain Kirk. Up to now, they've been alternate versions, things like that. Lost in Translation was the first time we see him play the actual Prime Captain Kirk. Of course, I'm talking about Paul Wesley, fresh off the Vampire Diaries. He appeared on Strange New Worlds, uh, first season episode, a Quality of Mercy, and the second season episodes, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, Lost in Translation, and we'll see him again on Subspace Rhapsody. So happy birthday to Paul Wesley. And by the way, we know Paul Wesley can sing because I believe they did a musical episode on The Vampire Diaries. I might be wrong. I'm not into musicals, but I think I read that somewhere, that they did, there was a vampire musical Vampire series did a new. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Buffy. Did they do a Buffy well, Vampire? Buffy, Bu- Buffy absolutely has a super famous musical episode that was pretty good, but uh, I believe that Vampire Diaries actually has one too called Salvatore the Musical. I have not seen the show, but yeah, no, he does it too. Yeah. So we know he can sing, and we're going to find out on Subspace Rhapsody next week on Strange New Worlds. We also want to say happy birthday to Chris Sarandon, the Academy Award-winning nominated actor and voice actor who played Mardis Mazur in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine, second season episode Rivals. I know him from Fright Night. I loved him in Fright Night. That's the Uh, greatest. That's the greatest, dude. I I love it. I I love it. He plays such a great... Jerry Dandridge. Yeah, (laughs) Jerry Dandridge. A um, a nightmare before Christmas, and he's just been in a lot of stuff. So don't forget, happy birthday! Uh, yeah, don't forget Princess Bride. He's Prince Humperdinck. Oh God, of course, yeah, right? Unbelievable! <laughs> he's super talented, cat though, man. He's super talented. I mean, just great. Um, but I'm with you on Fright Night, man. That's way underrated. Uh, that's that's a wonderful cult vampire movie. Uh, it, uh, I, uh, we always like to throw them out there, right? It's just like if there's one you haven't seen, if you've never seen Fright Night and you love horror movies and you love Star Trek, what the hell? You should be, you should be watching that. Yeah, and Roddy McDowell is in that as well from Planet of the Apes. He also voiced Vincent in The Black Hole. So, yeah, check out Fright Night. It's one of my favorites. And I do have a Klingon to wrap up my birthday list for. We want to say Kapla! Sam Zeller, who played Chatag in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine Nights, six season episodes, Sons and Daughters. And that wraps up our Star Trek birthdays for the, can you believe it? Wow. A lot of birthdays. And I, I trimmed them down, too. I trimmed them down quite a bit. So that wraps up Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. 
Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Okay, Eric, it's been a while since we've had this next segment, and I know that it's one of your favorites, and that's why you got it. Well, we always enjoy seeing what Mr. Shatner is up to these days, and we like to celebrate him on the podcast with our segment, Shatner Says What? That's right, Star Trek icon William Shatner wants to send your DNA to the moon for $150,000. The Star Trek Legend 92 has actually debuted a new service that will let paying customers send their DNA to the moon for just the small price of $150,000. Speaking to a crowd of people outside Hollywood's Chinese theater, Shatner says, I'm going to die and I'm going to disappear. What can I do? Here we have the possibility of a type of immortality. Shatner has become the first paying customer to splash out on the unique service in a for immortality. He also is an investor and brand ambassador for the Houston-based startup Space Crystals. It's said that through the company's Immortalize Me, Immortalize Me program, people can have their DNA grow into a pair of crystals on board a spaceship. I don't even know what that means. While one crystal is given back to the individual, the second is sent to the moon on board a lunar time capsule. The fee also covers the processing of the DNA in a crystalline solution, the crystalline solution's flight to the International Space Station, and the transport of the crystal to the moon, where it stays attached to lander. Company founder Kevin Heath said, quote, Our clients can hold their keepsake crystal in their hand, look up at the sky, and a part of themselves is there, tied together through space and time in what we call the crystal connection the service is set to launch next year uh well uh you know wow. I, don't like, I don't like to offer i don't like to offer too many opinions on this podcast but i will just say that uh if you get hundred fifty thousand dollars to send some of your uh fingernails up into space well uh godspeed young man god Speed. Let's uh, let's all get together and, and agree, and let's all send them some of our DNA just for free. But let's not send fingernails, or if you know what I'm saying. Like I'm certainly no uh, DNA expert here, but the this whole idea of like taking your DNA and then growing it into a crystalline solution does that not sound like Neelix, right? You get the you get the Neelix Tuvix, uh, you know, uh, Tuvok connection. You got. Uh, Tuvix, who actually is part flower, uh, so you know you could also be part crystalline if you just send them one hundred fifty thousand dollars in one of your fingernails, right here, guys. Um, I, why wouldn't you do it? That's what I'm asking. I don't know. Why? I don't. I'm I don't think incredibly I'd stupid. Do it. I think probably. probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to become a Tholian either. So <laughs> it does sound like that. Fact, right? Okay, <laughs> I would. I would go this far. If I had one hundred fifty thousand dollars, I would probably pay somebody to go and shut this guy down. Because it's just such bullshit. It's such incredible bullshit, right? I mean, it's just like what a you know the desperation involved in in trying to like you know cleave people from their money. It's just incredible crap. And I'm sorry, Bill, but you know the fact that you would like put your name on something like this is just even for you is just really uh, shocking. I mean, this is like you know the 
it, it's the 21st century equivalent of like a blender infomercial. I mean, this is please. <laughs> it's just like, get out, get out, move on. <laughs> But this is the world that we have built, Paul. I mean, we have built a world where space travel is now, in the, at least in the United States, space travel is a privately held ability, right? You, you can go into space if you have enough money. We no longer – I mean, we still have a government space program, but it's not like – it's not like the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s where that was the way to go to space. And so now, because in my opinion, we have the beginning of the commercialism of space, this, you guys, is not the first time we're going to see this kind of ridiculous thing where you can pay somebody a bunch of money to send some crap into space. Like, send your kid's blanket into space and have it come back. Only $1,400. You know what I mean? Like, the, we're going to see a lot more of this as you, the years go by. So, uh, uh, yeah, can, someone, can they just basically avoid the crystal and could you and avoid the moon landing? Can you just take my sperm and just have it like what? injected into the cosmos? Can you just like, do that? Was, okay, I, don't, I like the idea of my sperm just flying out into the space like is this you know, solid? The cosmos. Just yeah, I don't need it to be in a crystal. I don't need it to be on the moon. I'd like it to just be shot out of a syringe or some other. No, you dude, know, delivery you, mechanism and just have no, it fly into space. I mean, that at least is worth $100,000. That I can sort of see, <laughs> right? That makes sense to me. I mean, at least that's sort of like, okay, maybe that's worth it, right? But to be this, this crystal nonsense, to be turned into a paperweight that no one's ever going to see, because I hate to think the one to tell you, there's not a lot of visitors to the moon, okay? There's just really not. And uh, aliens drive right by with the windows rolled up. I mean, they do not. <laughs> have, there's nothing the to see there. It's like the worst gas the, station ever. <laughs> I guess the one defense I can find against it is that um, your DNA is unlikely to last very long in the radiation of space. And perhaps if you somehow crossbreed it with this whole crystalline thing, maybe it lasts a little bit longer in space. But I'm just reaching at straws here. The origin stories of the Tholians. <laughs> yeah, they're, actually, they're actually humans. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. Oh, yes. Well done, my friend. Well, well done. Shatter continues to supply lots and lots of fodder for this podcast, and I really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. So The bar has been lowered again. I love it. <laughs> so let's move on. So, David, uh, you might have some Strange New Worlds news for us. Is that correct? Yeah. So, Star Trek Strange New Worlds hits streaming top ten again, pushes Paramount Plus to a new milestone. For the second week in a row, Strange New World has ranked on Hollywood's most important streaming chart. The show has even helped Paramount Plus hit a new market share milestone. Nielsen revealed the top 10 streaming charts for the week of June 19, uh, June 19th through uh, the 25th, which includes the release of a second episode of Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. Ad Astra per Aspra, and once again, the series is on the chart for the original streaming program. This week at number 8, <coughs> sorry, this week at number 8, <laughs> uh, that is a drop in rank from last week's seventh debut uh, on the same chart. However, this week, Strange New World clocks more streaming minutes, 393 million compared to 338 million last 
week. Hmm. Strange new Strange New World is being cited as a driver to finally get Paramount Plus listed on a different chart by Nielsen. The gauge which tracked television market share for broadcast, cable, and streaming. To get onto the gauge, an outlet needs to reach 1% market share across all television viewing. It feels like I've read this before. But I guess this was an update from before, I guess. But yeah, it seems like it's a lot of people watching Strange New World, which makes me a little curious if they are going to be rebooting the TOS series. So I don't know. Uh, It's something that could be follow the way the money goes, but you know. (laughs) So yeah, interesting. So my opinion on that crystal on the moon, David. That's where it's <laughs> Well, and I didn't comment on this before, but my opinion is I do I do not think that they'll reboot the original series. I think that they'll leave that and that they will just treat that as a golden little gem and they'll keep touching on it here and there, but I I I think it would do them a disservice to try and reboot that series right now. I, ho- I hope you're correct, but yeah. I, I don't know. A lot of news is pointing toward a reboot, and for some odd reason, if they end up doing the reboot, that's going to disclaim. Uh, that's going to like completely disapprove uh, Troubles with Trouble episode from DS9, like where they completely, you know, copied and pasted Kirk and his crew from that episode. I mean, I, I hope they don't, but oh man. I, uh, it's good. We'll we'll wait and see. <laughs> but yeah, Paul, I guess you have a story for us. I always have a story for you, David. Even if I'm not being ejected into the vacuum of space, I've always got a story. <laughs> Patrick Stewart thinks David Lynch's Dune is great. Actually, there aren't many fans of the David Lynch version of Dune. I don't know where this story is from because that's not really true at all which is a notorious black mark on the director's formidable filmography. I also disagree. But it turns out that Patrick Stewart, who knows a thing or two about the best science fiction movies as a Star Trek legend, thinks one of the best directors of all time did a decent job. Released in 1984, Lynch's Dune has a reputation for being among the director's worst movies. Well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. Lynch has been famously reluctant to discuss Dune since it came out, and he has declined any suggestion that he put together a director's cut to reflect his original vision. That's also something that's changing. In a 1994 interview with Mark Gretzkmiel, Stewart expressed fondness for the movie, in which he played a 1994 interview, and we're just finding this now, <laughs> in which he... Hello, <laughs> Newsweek, Uncle Jim. Stewart said, it's serious because by choice, science fiction plays no part in my life at all. I don't have a particular interest in it. He added, by the way, I think Dune is a very good movie, and I think it will be around for a long, long time to come. A decade after Dune was first released, and three decades after this article was written, (laughs) Stewart was still banging the drum for it as an unfairly maligned movie. Okay, I got to editorialize here just briefly. Because a lot of folks, uh, I mean, Dune gets a bit of a bad rap, but it's not universally condemned by any means at all. Probably the person who's maligned it the most is David Lynch himself, just because he lost control of this uh, of this uh, in post-production, thanks to the largesse and greed of the De Laurentiis family. 
And he didn't really have Final Cut, and it was really uh, done, uh, a lot of what was done to it was done against his wishes, right? I mean, tremendously so. Um, And he's recently said in, uh, because there's a director's cut that's out there right now, quote unquote, a director's cut that wasn't really something he was involved in. And it's, it's, it's kind of a bit of a train wreck really. And, uh, and, and he has recently done some interviews that I've seen pretty recently since the, uh, the, uh, the more current version of Dune, uh, uh, has come out, right. Where he's expressed, you know, again, uh, no bones about it, that he feels that the movie, uh, was taken away from him and his version has really never been seen. Right. And, uh, I think that the smart thing to do uh, I think would be uh, give him another shot and let him do. I mean, we've seen this happen with, you know, physical media all the time where you, you know, some director is brought back to come in and do a, uh, uh, another version and finally do justice to it. Right. Look what happened with the, the Star Trek, uh, the motion picture, right? We, we were able to finally get the real version put together and uh, it's a tremendous picture. It's it's got a lot wrong with it. I mean, it really is. It's kind of you know that same thing that happened when the first Blade Runner, when Blade Runner first came out, they added all this unnecessary voiceover stuff so that people could follow it. Uh, Dune has got way too much narration and too many you know stream of consciousness voiceovers from the characters. But uh, but as a piece of cinema, it's pretty damn wonderful, I think. I don't like it as much as the most current version that recently came out, which is just pure cinema. But check out Arrow Video. Arrow Video, just this last year, did like a really nice 4K ultra-high-def restoration of, uh, of the film. And uh, if you have never seen it or if you only heard bad things about it, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Um, visually, it is sensational. Um, it's very surreal, very much Lynch at his most grotesque in terms of his being willing to do, he's kind of fresh off his blue velvet period and willing to do a lot of crazy shit and really put some grotesque imagery on screen here. But it is like, you cannot look away. It is, uh, it is definitely, you know, even if you are have issues, it is a visionary science fiction film and one that is absolutely worth checking out. So end of screed I bring Lynch back and let him really do his definitive version of it because there's more attention going on uh, with the Dune universe now than ever, thanks to the uh, the new success of the, uh, the the most recent adaptation, which is so great. So that's it. I'm with you, Patrick Stewart. Even if you did say this back in 1994, you and I still agree. Jim, what you got? Well, you can beam yourself into the Star Trek universe with this bold new Captain's Log solo role-playing game which sounds interesting. Intrepid Star Trek Voyagers, already familiar with Modiphius Entertainment's Star Trek Adventures, tabletop RTD will be thrilled to learn of the London-based game publisher's latest release, a fascinating solo role-playing endeavor called Captain's Log Solo Role-Playing Game. This impressive 326-page digest-sized rulebook delivers a complete and streamlined iteration of the award-winning 2D20 system employed by the company's adventures where gamers can build out their own star trek missions with an ambitious starship commander that they create found only by the limits of their own overactive imagination an interactive feature of this new solo rpg is that gamers can inhabit any era of star trek franchise from the 21st to the 32nd century 
simply by picking from a selection of four cover designs, sporting the combat is from the original series, Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager, and Discovery. Each full cover, hardcover Captain's Log solo role-playing game features live paths and roles for any type of character, not just Starfleet captains. A Star Trek primer including society, technology, and heroes of play. Rules for creating randomizing your own starship and starbase. Guidance on implementing rules and telling your own sci-fi tales. And more than 100 random tables and storytelling matrices, including alien worlds, aliens, and enemies mission themes. Sounds like an awesome, awesome adventure. And uh, Charles, I usually give Charles the IDW stuff. So, uh, Eric, you want to jump in and talk about IDW? Sure. Uh, IDW, which, of course, is one of our favorite comic companies, sets October for Spooky with Star Trek Halloween, like hollow, like the holodeck Halloween miniseries. IDW Publishing continues to expand its lineup of Star Trek comics with the announcement of a special Halloween-themed comic series debuting in October. IDW has also revealed more Star Trek comics coming in September, including the final issue of the Star Trek The Motion Picture Echoes miniseries, the first issue of the new series about young Jean-Luc Picard at Starfleet Academy, and the second issue of the upcoming Strange New Worlds miniseries. September will also see the Day of Blood crossover event wrap up with a new issue from the ongoing Star Trek series and a bonus one-off focused on shacks. Star Trek Halloween has IDW, quote, bringing horror deck in a new four-issue miniseries in the month of October. The series is set in the Star Trek Next Generation era, and it's being written by Chris Secura and Eisner-nominated artist Joe Eisma. After enduring an anxiety-ridden passage through a solar storm, Captain Picard and the crew of the USS Enterprise take to celebrating Halloween to reset the mood. But while the Earth holiday involves sweet treats and other festivities, they soon learn that fear is in season when crew members begin to go missing one by one. The first issue arrives on October 4th, priced at three ninety nine, lots to love about this. I always love me a good themed episode. I think it's about time that we uh, got a Star Trek Halloween update since Cat's Paw, which was a very long time ago. And I like we've got Jean Luc Picard playing into this a little bit. I think that's going to be fun. And also the cover price of three ninety nine is quite attractive, given that every single freaking Star Trek comic right now is like four. Five ninety nine or six ninety nine or seven ninety nine. It's driving me nuts. Well, the gall, the nerve that these artists and writers should be paid. It's just absolutely. It's so outrageous. I, oh, I'm with thanks, you, Paul. dude. What? What I the always, hell? I always appreciate you calling me out on the air. So thank you so much for that. Brother. But, uh, uh, so yeah, I'm excited about this uh, Halloween. Why is the show live? Can't we edit it? Jeez. One way or another, it's going to be great. And I enjoy the fact that it's only three ninety nine. So thank you very much. Back to you, Jim. We're going to put you in a crystal, Paul. That's where you're going to go. You're going oh, to go to the moon. Make it a big one. <laughs> a big crystal. Paul well, gets guys, up on that soapbox and he just keeps going. <laughs> I have a few opinions. Show, it's true. Can you believe it? It's another show has bit the dust. Uh, We've been crystallized. Bad. Woo. Wow. 
Well, I, I just I don't want to take an opportunity to say thank you to Ray for calling in from the Bronx. It's always great to hear from Ray. And, of course, we definitely miss Charles, but he'll be back next week. So thank you so much to our very own David the Donut Guy for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's fun. And thank you so much to for Paul for hanging out and helping crystallize the podcast. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> super fun, super fun. Um, I, it was great, really fun week. Um, we missed Charles tremendously. I want to find out what he was up to, though. He's at some theatrical thing. I got to find out what that's all about. But he was, oh my. He was at- he was at a show called Something Rotten, which I have seen, which is a fantastic show. If oh, you get wow. A chance to see it, you I'll check that it. out. I'll see what that's yeah. all about. But I'm super. I just, I'm no spoilers for me, but man, I cannot wait for next week's episode. I am super. We are going to have fun. That's what I predict. That's, next week's going to be yeah, nuts. for sure. And of course, thank you so much to our very own Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric. Always a good time. Thank you guys so much for being willing to talk to me about Star Trek once a week. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh like like Paul said, next week we're gonna be talking about those old scientists. That's right, the uh, lower deck Strange New Worlds crossover episode that dropped on Saturday. We're gonna talk about it next week and based on fans' opinions, we gotta hear what the Trek experts have to say. It's ranked pretty high, so you definitely want to tune in next Thursday, same bat time, same bat channel. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please everybody stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. And remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. And, okay, help me open this hatch. uh, Lean into it. Help me. Help me. Let's see what's out there. Engage.